is the Lord. To God be the glory. I am doing double duty today. It wasn't intended to be that way. About four weeks ago, Carrie knew that he needed a kind of a replacement. He was gone with his family this weekend to be a part of Matt Riba's wedding. That was yesterday. And so he asked me if I'd fill in for worship. And I was, praise the Lord, able to do that, willing to do that. And then about a week ago, Pastor asked if there was a message that God had given to me. And by God's grace, he had moved in my heart the previous Thursday. And I felt very strongly that it was something that I wanted to share. I didn't tell Paul about it, but I submitted it to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm available. And last Sunday morning, I was sitting up here when Carrie started worship. And Paul comes around and he sits next to me and he leans his head behind my ear and says, Has God given you a message? Wow, I tell you, that is powerful. I had, there was tears that almost came to my eyes because I saw the living God move in a miraculous way. And so, I know God has a, a message. I have confidence in that. Not confidence in my own ability, but God, when God has a message that He wants to speak, it needs to be spoken. And so I'm going to be obedient to the Lord and share with you what God has put on my heart to share. And so I'm happy to be here because we have a, a God who's powerful, a God who is a delivering God, a God who is a saving God, and I'm so thankful that He has revealed His mighty power, His saving love through the Lord Jesus Christ in His Word. And so it's a privilege today to be here and to share God's word with you. Uh, let us turn to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to begin by reading verse 10. I hope you brought your Bibles today. And we're going to use this verse to kind of warm up our Bibles because we're going to be moving quite a bit through the word today and uh, look to see what God has to say concerning our lives personally. Romans 5.10 God's Word says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Here, the Word of God is revealing that God has reconciled us or brought us back to Him in right relationship through the death of His Son. We have been pardoned, or we've experienced free release from the penalty of our sin through the death, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the verse doesn't end here. But it continues by saying, if we've been reconciled to God, if we've been brought together to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled or brought together, we shall be saved by his life. Um, I think I'm a little hot here or something. Do this. We shall be saved by his life. That word saved means um, safety. It means well. And so, not only has God brought us the pardon from sin, but through the life of Jesus Christ, who now lives, seated at the right hand of God the Father, we experience life in our lives. Not just existence, but eternal life 
here and now, victorious life that has been brought about through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that in, in Romans, I'm sorry, in, in John 10.10, uh, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. And so after we read these passages, we say, Lord, thank you for the righteousness that you have imparted to me through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there is an abundant life that is spoken of that I wonder if each of us are experiencing to its fullness. You know, the devil is a liar. Jesus refers to the devil as the father of lies. And I don't know, probably each of us have experienced, and maybe we've identified more frequently, or maybe we have not identified it all the time, but the devil is a deceiver. And he tries to twist things, and he tries to get us to believe lies. And one way in which the devil works is by instilling fear into our lives. Instilling fear into our lives. And you know what the source of that fear is? It's unbelief. We fail to believe God. We fail to stand by faith upon his promises. Let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 14. There's a great example of this that we read in the Gospel, according to Matthew. And Jesus was um, had finished up ministering to the disciples and um, there was about 5,000 men who had eaten. Uh, that was aside from the women. And in verse 22 of chapter 14, we pick up the event and we read... And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone, but the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, this was a stormy night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But he immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is, not, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Here does Peter, well, just, he had his eyes on Jesus. He was exercising his faith. Amazing. And he, Jesus said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Wow. But seeing the wind, he got sidetracked. He became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? We see that fear entered into Peter's heart. It was a result of him doubting. It was a result of him doubting. There's a scripture passage in John chapter 6, verse 29. I'd like us to turn to right now. I told you we're going to be moving through the scripture. So, 6.29, but I'd like to start in verse 28. So, let's uh, move to John 6.28 and then move uh, and then... Uh, 
work our way to, to 29. Jesus is, uh, is ministering to the multitudes, and they're having a dialogue back and forth here. And, uh, you know, they, they got to the point where in John chapter 6, verse 28, I'll wait till I stop hearing pages turning here. Okay. They, the multitude, said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, you know, God's intention for us is that we would walk in dependent relationship with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, moment by moment, every day. That is a walk of faith. It's believing God for my needs. It's believing God for my relationships, for my financial concerns, whatever it might be. And God is faithful to lead us along. And so our walk with him is one where he, being the great shepherd and we the sheep, uh, is one of constant dependency on him. And that requires that we believe him in the midst of circumstances that may try to deviate uh, or try to um, derail us from knowing his peace and his provision. And I mentioned before that about fear. The enemy many times will put areas of fear and doubt in our hearts, in our minds. How does that fear look? Well, it might be fear of being unworthy for salvation. It might be fear of losing a loved one. It might be fear of Financial ruin. It might be fear of rejection. And even as I'm speaking, you may be considering other areas of fear that either you have heard about other people talking about or maybe that are existing in your own heart. The fears are real. And fear is not of God. And so as we look at this verse in John chapter 6, verse 29, when Jesus tells us what God's work is, it's that we would believe on him whom he has sent. That is the work of God. I believe it's a continual work. A work that as we're walking in dependency and relationship with Jesus, that it's that walk of faith. You know, many times these fears in our lives um, uh, have consequences. Personal consequences. As I have reflected, as I've gotten older, I've been able to identify fear. Now, when I was younger, you know, you think of fear as, well, I'm afraid to climb a mountain or something like that, you know. But over the years, God has been showing me where the real battle is. Where is the spiritual battle? It's in my mind. In our minds, isn't it? 
You know, that, that spiritual battle, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, many times is occurring right in our minds. And the consequences of my fear as I reflected upon it are, I act irrationally. When, when, when the particular issue that is causing fear in my life arises, I find myself acting irrationally. You know, the other thing is, is that I'm self-absorbed. I'm absorbed with that fear and trying to deal with it and wrestle it and trying to do my best to, to keep a, a barrier away from it. But you know what that does? Is it causes me to be unfruitful for Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 16, chapter 15, verse 16, um, I did, or you did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. That is amazing. So when I'm self-absorbed with my fears, I am distracted from accomplishing the works that Christ has called me, the fruit that he has called me to bear. What about the relationships around us? Does it impact our work? Does it impact my family? Does it impact friendships, other relationships? And many times, the fears that are existing within our own lives and our own minds, we may think that, well, I can live with them. And we have a tendency to tolerate them because we're familiar with them. Some of them have been with us for a long time and I've just learned to deal with them. Dear friends, we are not alone. The scriptures give us a powerful example of fear that existed in the lives of God's people, the nation of Israel. And what I'd like to do now is for us to look at the account of fear that discloses to us fear that existed in the army of the children of God, the Israelites, and how God delivered them. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. First chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll start reading in verse 1. I'm going to warn you, we're going to be reading a lot here because there is much for us to glean from this passage. To give you a little background, Saul was the king of Israel at this time. And it's very interesting that Saul at this time, just prior to this event here where we begin reading in chapter 17, he was terrorized by an evil spirit. And his servants had suggested that they find a skillful player on the harp who would be able to play for Saul, that he might be comforted. And so they found David, uh, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And Saul brought him in to, his, uh, to be his attendant. And then also David became his armor bearer. Um, that's kind of the context uh, and, and some of the background here as we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 17. And I'm just going to continue our reading or begin our reading right now. 
Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered as, at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Sokah and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. This was not just a little giant. This is a big giant. He was over nine and a half feet tall. Big. Huge. And how huge are those giants of fear in our lives? It is nothing to be taken lightly. And he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. And I calculated that out and they don't really know exactly how much a shekel was, either a quarter or a half of an ounce. And so there's a range here. So I calculated that it's just the, uh, the scale armor was like between 78 and 155 pounds. Okay. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's between 9 and 18 pounds. His shield carer also walked before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Well, this giant, this enemy of Israel, was defying the ranks of Israel. He was defying the people of God. I don't know about you, I may have shared this before, but there are times when I like to look up words. Words which I think I know the definition to, but I found over the years that to actually look up words can be a great blessing because we see a fuller, maybe even more detailed definition or appropriate definition than I ever knew to be. And so I looked up in Random House Dictionary the word defy, and it, it means to challenge the power of, resist boldly or openly. Here it is, this giant, this enemy of the people of God, was challenging the power of God's people. It goes on. He was openly defying the ranks of Israel. In verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The whole army was greatly afraid. And so, friends, uh, the fears that, that we have experienced or are experiencing right now in our lives are, are nothing new to the people of God. This whole army of Israel was experiencing fear. 
Now, David was the son of the um, Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. Apparently, at this point, David was only in part-time service to Saul. He also had a responsibility to his father's family, and that was to tend the sheep. So he was going back and forth between his father and tending the sheep and ministering to Saul in that. And the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. This is amazing. Day after day, the Philistine would come out and he would taunt the people of God. What's really interesting about it is the army was paralyzed. They didn't know what to do. Their fear had paralyzed them that every day they did the same thing. And they began to tolerate the situation. There's no indication that any action was taken at all. You know, when I think about the fears in our lives, some of them may just be recent, some of them have been with us for a long time, and we begin to tolerate them. And we begin to just work around them and take no action. Then Jesse said to David, verse 17, Take now for your brothers an epith, uh, I'm sorry, an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand. And look into the welfare of your brothers, and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Wow. All the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, paralyzed by fear. You know, sometimes we may think, well, the fear is not really hurting anybody else. It's only I that am dealing with it. But is that true? Here, in this case, the men of Israel were paralyzed for 40 days. They weren't working their businesses. They weren't working on their farms. They weren't ministering to their families. They were paralyzed by fear. Verse 20, So David rose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went to Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him. Excuse me. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left, left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion... 
the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. That term free in Israel is referring to that they would be free from paying taxes and also uh, serving and that from, uh, from public service. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in one accord with, uh, I'm sorry, in accord with this word, saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness in your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered, um, the people answered the same thing as before. When the words which David spoke were heard, they, were, um, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant, referring to himself, will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. Praise the Lord. God had given faith to one individual, a youth. And he rose up and was willing to put an end to this taunting of the armies of the living God. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. It is good to remember And David reflects about times in past, and we'll read later, where God had delivered him from the lion and the bear. And even in our lives, amen, friends, as children of the living God through faith in Christ, have we not seen God's mighty deliverance in different areas of our lives? And even as David recounted those to Saul, It's good for us to again bring those up in our memory when we're considering what do I do with this fear. Well, um, in verse 37, 
we continue to read, and David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Boy, that is amazing. He's getting ready to go into battle against this giant against his enemy. And he had the armor. He was given man-made protection, but he said, I'm going to take it off. Which meant that David was completely vulnerable. And many times, friends, when God brings us to that position of faith, to the point where we have had enough with this fear, and God is stirring us to believe God for the victory over this fear, we go into that completely vulnerable. We go into it alone with our Savior, by faith. This is new territory. Lord, my mind says that if I do this thing, I'm going to fail. What are going to be the consequences of this, Lord? And so we're completely vulnerable and we completely cast ourselves upon Christ for His deliverance. Well, um, let's uh, pick it up here in verse um, 40. And he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he, bag which he had, even his pou- in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. David takes the initiative. He takes that first steps. And we see then the response of this enemy of Israel. Then the Philistine came on in verse 41 and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with handsome appearance. Again, I looked up that word disdain, and it means to think unworthy of notice. To think unworthy of notice. Here it is, Goliath was looking at David and was thinking, this guy is nothing. This guy is not even worth uh, worrying about. He's not even like a mosquito, you know. He disdained him. And now we begin to see a dialogue that occurs. You know, many times, friends, as we have read this account or heard about the account of David and Goliath, kind of the most noteworthy and exciting part is when the stone is hurled by David, you know, and it sinks in the forehead of the giant and he comes, what, tumbling down. But we see through this account that there is a dialogue that occurs that in many ways, resembles the spiritual warfare that we, as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, experience in those areas of fear in our life. And so, after uh, uh, David approached uh, the Philistine, 
Uh, in verse 43, we see, And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The enemy's attacks are heated up now. Now he's beginning to curse David. But it doesn't end here. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Oh boy. He begins to turn up the heat. He begins to insult. He begins to majorly intimidate or attempt to intimidate David. And many times when we begin to take action and God begins to embolden us to confront this fear by faith in Christ, the enemy may begin to accuse us and to intimidate us and to think, make us think and question the victory that we're going to be able to uh, achieve over the enemy, this fear. So, um, verse 45, we see the response of David. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Ooh, to God be the glory. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of, of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. Ooh, David rises up in faith, in power. And he says, I'm coming to you in the name of the God of Israel. Not with the means of men. Not with weapons of mankind. But I am coming to you in the name of the Lord God. And friends, as we come in the precious name of Jesus, standing upon his promises, we can come confidently and boldly and confront that fear head on. <clears throat> David continues, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. <clears throat> Wow, this is amazing. David, by faith, not only had confidence that God was going to deliver the giant to his hands, but also that the Philistine army was going to fall as well. Many times we think that the giants in our lives, the fear, whatever, again, is only affecting us personally. But I'm wondering if this passage here refers to that when we confront the giants of fear in our lives and see a victory, that the ramifications of other areas in our life are going to be seen as well. That other victories are going to be won because we took that step of bold faith. But not only that, but the scripture says, what David says, with eyes of faith, he said that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. David is referring to the victory that he was confident that God was going to bring him and to the nation of Israel, the people of God. And he said the consequence of that is that all the earth is going to know 
that there is a God in Israel. When we see God's victory in our lives and we give testimony to that, others hear of the mighty power of the God whom we serve. The mighty power of Christ within us. The implications of us taking action don't only free us from the oppression or from the strongholds of fear that the enemy may have in our lives, but it also gives testimony to the world of God's saving power. He continues in verse 47, And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Praise the Lord. Isn't that encouraging to know that the battle is not ours, friends? It's the Lord's. Verse 48, Then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Isn't that great? David did not sheepishly approach that battle line, but with confidence in his God, he boldly ran right for the enemy. And friends, as God gives us that word of faith, as he gives us the scripture, as he convicts us in our hearts, saying, now it's time that we trust Christ for this need in our life, we can boldly, with confidence, run toward that time. Well, um, verse 49, And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sunk... uh, The stone sank into the forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Praise the Lord. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, They fled. Wow. Amazing. Here it is. Not only did David see the victory over a giant, but now the rest of the enemies of God began to flee. Boy, it's really exciting to see what happens next. Um, And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Sharaim, uh, even to Gath and Ekron. Wow, what a blessing. Here it is, the men of Israel were emboldened to take action as well. David's fellow countrymen, the children of God, when they saw the victory that God had provided in David's case, they were emboldened to pursue the enemy as well. And even in our lives, isn't that true? Have you ever been encouraged when someone has given a testimony of a mighty work of God in their life? 
And you have been encouraged. I have been encouraged to trust God for the need in my life. Praise God. Well, that pretty much uh, ends what we're going to consider with regards to David and Goliath and the Israelites. But that comes back to us again. By way of summary, those fears that we have in our lives many times become very familiar and we tolerate them. We choose not to take action, thinking that I'm the only one that is experiencing the consequence of this fear. And yet, what about family and friends, co-workers, our efficiency at work, whatever it might be? How is that impacted? On the other hand, when God brings us the victory over that fear, how many lives are positively impacted? The enemy is defeated. We experience freedom from the stronghold of the enemy of fear in our lives. The nations hear the testimony of what God has done. The unbelievers hear that there is a living God who saves, who delivers. And fellow believers are encouraged to pursue the enemy as well. Well, many times we may acknowledge these fears and how is it that we can confront them? Well, there's a passage in Scripture, and I think it was in one of the, uh, the study guides uh, a couple weeks ago. It might have been our memory verse. John chapter 16, verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will disclose to you what is to come. We read from that passage there that the spirit of truth will guide us into all truth. We know that the devil is the father of lies. He's the one who deceives. But praise God that through Christ Jesus, he has given to us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, who guides us into truth. Friends, when it comes to the areas of fears in our, fear in our lives, God begins his ministry to us. His word is powerful. It brings great conviction. Not condemnation, but conviction. It not only reveals our hearts, it not only reveals the desperation of our need, but through God's word, we are also encouraged where our victory lies. And that is as we by faith rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, remember those three times that the enemy came, or those three specific uh, recorded times where the enemy actually comes to Jesus. And that first time was where uh, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And uh, the Bible says that he then became hungry. Um, that hungry was a sign that he was beginning the process of starvation. When People do extended fasts after a while, not initially. Initially, the stomach craves for food when it's empty. But after an extended fast of a number of days, the body gets to the point where it becomes accustomed to not having food. And it almost seems, I've read, that you can, you almost think you don't even need food. Of course, you would need water, but I'm talking about solid food. 
Um, but then you go for a period, and then the next time you get hungry, it's critical. It means that you have started the process of starvation. The body is no longer feeding on fat reserves and energy from that, but it's actually beginning to cannibalize healthy cells. And so that starvation process has begun. When Jesus, when the Bible tells us that Jesus became hungry, he was beginning to starve. And it was then that the enemy came to him in that moment of weakness. And said, I want you to turn these stones into bread. Meet your need. And what does Jesus says? He said, man does, shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How, many, how critical it is that we are people that we are Christians, that we are God's children, and that we stand upon God's Word. That He might, by His Spirit, reveal to us His promises. That when these areas of fear come into our lives, that we can stand confidently against the enemy and be emboldened to... um, confidently stand on Christ and his promises and therefore experience that victory. That song that we sang earlier this morning says, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. And when I say the word of God, I'm not revealing to, I'm not um, necessarily referring to it from an academic standpoint. I'm referring it to it from the standpoint of when we read God's Word and His Spirit gives us rhema, that revealed truth of God's Word, that we might stand upon it. Friends, we have victory in Christ. Praise the Lord. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, referring to Christ, also partook of the same. Likewise, also partook of the same. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Praise the Lord. Our victory is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, friends... Let's uh, close our service today by singing a, a very simple chorus.